The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Would you take your Bible and look with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23 in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Someone once said, you don't need a title to be a leader. I don't know who said it, but I do think it's a fair statement when you define leadership accurately. John Quincy Adams, our third president, described leadership this way. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, or do more, or become more, you're a leader. I think perhaps the best definition was provided by John Maxwell. His definition of leadership is, leadership is influence, no more, no less. I agree with that statement. Leadership is influence. When it comes to leadership, titles may give you authority to coerce, but influence allows you to persuade. You're saying, Dr. Lance, what's this have to do with me? I'm not a leader. I am a college student. But this morning, I'm here to tell you that you are a leader. You're a leader in the sphere of influence that surrounds you. You're a leader in the opportunities that God has given you in this moment. Perhaps it was President John F. Kennedy who put it best when he observed, leadership and learning are indispensable of each other. Leadership and learning go hand in hand. And if you are a leader, you are always learning. We say here at Pensacola Christian College, we are training leaders to influence the world for Christ. Those words are chosen purposefully. We're training, you're learning, you're becoming leaders in your sphere of influence so that you can have a greater influence on the world for the cause of Christ. So today I want to talk to you about leadership. And particularly I want to use the story of three of David's mighty men that Pastor referenced in his message last evening. And I want us to learn from their, from their leadership development some lessons that we can apply to our lives. Just so you know, there were 37 mighty men of David total. When you read the chronology of 2 Samuel 23, you're going to find there were 30 that are mentioned. Seven had most likely already passed away. When you read verses 8 through 17, you find that there are three chief mighty men. They're referred to as the chiefs, the three mighty men. And they're also referred to as the three mighties in the parallel account in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. But notice verse 17 of chapter 23. That last phrase says, these things did these three mighty men. Well, who are these three mighty men? Well, we're introduced to them in verses 8, 9, and 11. In verse 8, we're introduced to Adino. He's referred to as the Tokmanite. It's, it's the, the status that he, he held. He had the chief seat of all of the chiefs. He's the equivalent of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman. He's the man who is the general in charge of all military. 
So of the three, there is Adino, but then Eleazar is mentioned in verse number 9. The Bible says he is the son of Dodo. I don't know that I would tell anyone that I was a son of Dodo. But here was a mighty man by the name of Eleazar that's an example for us. And the third is mentioned in verse 11, Shema. So for the next few moments, let's look at these chiefs in David's special forces, and let's learn some lessons from their leadership development. Lesson number one, let's learn the lesson from their start. And here's the lesson. Who you are now is not who you will always be. When you consider these three men in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, they're at the end of their career. In the first seven verses of 2 Samuel 23, David is giving his last words. He's speaking his final words, recognizing his reign will end soon, that he'll soon be off the scene. And these three men know it as well. But when you see these three men in their end, you would think they've always been a success. But to understand how they started, you have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. And you find that these men are described amongst others of hundreds of men were the men that came to, to, uh, to David in their distress. They were in debt. They were discontent. You may be thinking, that sounds like me today. I, I'm distressed because of a test that I have today. I'm in, de- in debt. I don't know how I'm going to pay my college bill. I'm discontent with my situation in life. And young people understand all of us have been there. And where you are and who you are right now will not be always the same. When you look at those three words in 1 Samuel 22, distressed, debt, and discontent, the Hebrew lends an interesting understanding. The word distressed is used to describe when battles are occurring and the enemy surrounds and they are placed in a straight, they are in a straight jacket of sorts. The word debt is used in the term of usury, which in the Old Testament was considered criminal because it was predatory lending. They were taking advantage of others, placing them in, in debt unnecessarily. And then that word discontent, it's an interesting word. It comes from the word mara. It's a spiritual word to the Hebrew because they remember when they came to the waters of Mara and they found that those waters were bitter. And from that point forward, they began to describe themselves in moments of life as being Mara bitter. These mighty men that we see in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel had their start emotionally bound up, financially broke, and even spiritually bitter. It's a truth of God's Word that God does not just see who we are now, but He knows who we will be in the future. Lawrence J. Peter was a business uh, 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 analyst of the, in the 1970s. He had written a book entitled the, the Peter Principle. If you're studying in the business program, it would be helpful perhaps for you to read that just to see where they're coming from. But but Lawrence Peter said, the Peter principle is this, that everyone starts at a level of success, but as they climb the ladder in their career, they, they rise to the level of their incompetence. He did a study of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies at that time, and he found that many of the CEOs leading these multi-million, if not billion dollar in our economy today, those multi-million dollar businesses, the men and the women that were leading there 
were not prepared for that, for that level. There were some that were perfect for the managerial level, for the director level, but to rise to the executive level, they, raised the, the, they were raised by the HR people to the level of their incompetence. Now, that's the Peter principle. But I want to share with you the Paul principle. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. The Peter principle says you start as a success and rise to your level of incompetence. But the Paul principle found in the word of God is this, that God can take you in your weakness and use you in a powerful way. Even though in this moment you may be in distress. Even though in this moment debt seems to surround you. There's a level of discontent, bitterness in your life. God looks past that. And as you strive for excellence in his power, he will make you who you need to be. The lesson from their start, who you are now is not who you will always be. Notice, secondly, the lesson about their struggles. You'll fight the same enemy over and over again. When you look at 2 Samuel 23, you're going to notice the, the name of the Philistines. Eight times it's mentioned in chapter 23 alone. Five times it's mentioned in reference to the three mighty men. Dive deeper into the study of the term Philistines. Look in both 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and you're going to find it is mentioned 178 times. And in each of those references, the Philistines are the enemy of the Israelites. The Philistines were not just their nemesis, they were a nuisance. Every single time they would get victory over the Philistine, you would think, well, this is it, they'll never bother us again. But shortly thereafter, here comes the Philistines again. They would come back again and again, same enemy, different struggles. Pastor Redland's Sunday morning message on Romans 7 is the perfect example of the battle of the flesh. A college student learned this today. There are battles, there are struggles that you are going to continue to have. And yes, you'll gain victory as time goes on. But you are not less than because the battle, the, the enemy rears his head. The, the enemy is coming against you even in your levels of success or blessing in your life. There are going to be battles that occur and how you respond to those battles makes the difference. When you look at these three men, how did they respond to the battle of the recurring enemy of the Philistines? Well, I want to encourage you this morning to be fearless like a Dino. The Bible says in verse number 8 that Adino took his spear and he, he lifted his spear up against 800 of those Philistines and he slew them at one time. What an unbelievable victory that God had given Adino in that moment. In his fearlessness, as he trusted God, he was able to face the nuisance, the nemesis of the Philistines. 
I encourage you not only to be fearless, I also encourage you to be firm like Eleazar. The Bible says in verse number 9 that when the Philistines were gathered together in the battle, the men of Israel were gone away. They gave up. They had retreated. And the Bible says that Eleazar arose, verse 10, and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave to the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Not only be fearless, but be firm. Don't quit. Don't give up. Be unyielding in the battle that you face each day. But thirdly, be faithful like Shema. Notice what happens here. The Bible says in verse number 11, and after him was Shema, the son of Agi. And the Bible says there was gathered together Philistines in a troop, and there's a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. Again, the Israelites wandered away in fear, but, but Shema, verse 12, stood in the midst of that ground, and he defended it, and he slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a, a great victory. This was a small patch of ground. When you see it, say in verse number 11, there was a ground of lentils. That's the equivalent of peas. It was a pea patch of sorts. And here's what Shema said. I don't care how small this piece of ground is. I don't care how inconsequential it is in the grand scheme of the battle. I am not yielding any territory to the Philistines. I am going to be faithful even in the small battles that come my way. So learn this lesson today. Learn the lesson of these three. Just keep fighting. When the reoccurring struggles of life, when your flesh rears its ugly head, continue to fight and fight again. And and as you face that struggle over and over again, God will continue to give you victory. And notice this. Every single time a a battle occurred, the Bible says the Lord gave a great victory. Verse number 8, verse number 12. The Lord gave a great victory. Listen to me. No matter what the battle is, if the Lord gives victory, it is great. In every aspect of your life, if God gives victory, rejoice in that and learn from the lesson of their struggles. Here's the third lesson. The lesson about their synergy. Our efforts are greater combined than they are alone. You say, Dr. Lance, what does synergy mean? Well, here's the simple definition of synergy. Synergy means this, the combined effect greater than the sum of the separate effects. The combined effect that is greater than the sum of the separate effects. Now, notice this. Verse number 9 refers to Eleazar as, verse 9, one of the three mighty men. But when you come to verse 16, there is a synergistic opportunity that they take. It's when they go and they collect the water from the well in Bethlehem. And the Bible says, the, verse number 16, the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines. Those three in conjunction, those three in synergy, moved forward to accomplish something that perhaps they could not accomplish alone. It's a principle of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 4, verse number 9. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. It was Andrew Carnegie who said, it's the mark of a big step in a man's development when he realizes that other men can be called to help him to do a better job than he can do alone. And you, as a college student, need to learn the importance of the lesson of synergy. Where I was raised in East Tennessee, uh, we had what was called tractor pulls. 
Now back where I'm from, we called them redneck conventions, but they were actually called tractor pulls. And they would bring all of these tractors in and they would try to see which tractor could pull the most weight. It really is a historical event that goes back to the horse pulls of the 1800s. Still in the county where I was raised, Rome County, Tennessee, at the Rhone Equestrian Center, they have horse pulls. And what you find in these horse pulls is the law of synergy. What they do is they, they'll take uh, two horses here, as you see my notes, one of and three of. As you, as you see these horses, they, they take one and they find that one of those horses can pull a, a, a weight of two tons. And then they'll take a second horse and they'll find that that second horse can pull the weight of three tons. And if you place those two horses together, you would think logically, mathematically, that if there's a horse that can pull two tons and a horse that can pull three tons, that that, that those horses would be able to pull five tons. But this is the law of synergy. When you place the two together, they do not pull five tons, they pull seven tons. Because the effect of their power combined is greater than what they can accomplish alone. College students, I'm here to tell you that in life, you have to have each other. Even in your college experience, you're not just one of 4,000 students. You're part of the student body of Pensacola Christian College. And when you consider... When you consider what you as a student body can do together, it is amazing how God can use that. Think about just our service. Think of missions run, for those of you that are returning students. How through our missions run, we've raised thousands of dollars for missions projects around the world. Because the student body comes together in a like-minded cause, working together for the purpose of the gospel of Christ. Think of Serve Pensacola. When hundreds of students come together and they they expand outside of the gates of this campus and they begin to serve in the community, just doing odd jobs, just helping out. In fact, I was at a civic event recently and one of the leaders of, uh, of one of the projects here in town said to me, I want to thank Pensacola Christian College for the young people who came and helped us out in our time of need. And in doing so, we began an inroad for further discussion to, to grow in that opportunity of working with them. Why? Because we came together and we served together. There's the power of synergy in service, but there's also the power of synergy in our studies. How many of you ever heard the statement, two heads are better than one? Listen, let me let you in a little secret, freshman. Find out who the smartest person is in your class and start studying with them. Because as you study with them, you'll be able to pick up some things that you need to be able to be prepared for the test, to understand the material. We have some hard majors here. I was a Bible major when I was in college. I I had taken uh, Greek and Hebrew, and those are complicated languages. But let me tell you, I have great respect for those of you that are in the engineering program. That's a difficult major. I can't fathom the things that you're learning, the things that you're doing, but you're doing it successfully. Those of you that are in the nursing program, it's a tough program. It's hard. But here's what I've observed about engineering students and nursing students. 
as they continue through their college career, they begin to, to develop a cohort of sorts, and they study together, nursing students particularly. By the senior year, you guys are cohesive together. You're, you're working together. There is success when we come together and work at the same time. And the truth is we can all achieve more when we work together, and we, could, we achieve more than we could ever achieve alone. Learn the lesson that leaders are not exclusive players. The NBA may tell you that. The NFL may tell you that. But let me tell you, a leader is someone who understands they are part of a team and they can do more together than they ever could, ever could do apart. Learn the lesson from their start. Who you are right now is not who you will always be. Learn the lesson from their struggles. You'll always fight the same enemy over and over again. Learn the lesson from their synergy. Our efforts are greater combined than alone. And here, learn the lesson of our service. Learn the lesson from their service, that your service will be remembered more than anything else. Pastor mentioned this last night, when those three men in their synergy came together and they, they slipped behind the enemy lines of the Philistines and, and gathered that water from the well of Bethlehem, brought it back to David, and David was so moved in that moment that he said, I can't drink this. What I can do is take the sacrifice that you have made and give it as a sacrifice to God. He was so moved in that moment that he offered a drink offering before the Lord. And it's amazing that the last thing that is mentioned of these three mighty men is that act of service. Learn the lesson. That no matter how far you climb the ladder of success, what people remember about you is those random acts of service. Consider the woman with the alabaster box. The Bible says that when she came into the room, she broke that box and she poured spikenard upon our Savior. And the Bible says those disciples were there and said, what a waste. That could have been sold and, and that money could be used to give to the poor. And Jesus in that moment stood and defended her and said, she's done what she could. And then Jesus made an interesting statement. Mark 14 verse 9, I say unto you, wherever the gospel shall be preached throughout the entire world, listen to the exact quote, also that which she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And even today, service that lady offered before the Lord is being memorialized in this moment not because of her success but because of her service Jesus said in Matthew 20 verse 27 whosoever will be chief among you let him be your servant Jesus not only said it he displayed it the Bible says in Philippians 2 verse number 5 let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant people may be impressed with your success but they will never forget what you do for them. Drew Dudley has an interesting TED talk that uh, you can watch at your leisure, but he tells the story of how he learned that personal acts of kindness lead to great leadership success. 
He tells the story of an orientation day at the small college that he was a part of. And on that day, Dudley, who was a senior, was going around trying to lighten the moment. He was handing out lollipops to all the nervous freshmen. And he was wearing this huge, silly hat just to bring some levity to the moment. As he was walking through the line for registration, his eye was caught by a young lady who had an uneasy face. She was standing with her parents. So he he decided to, to walk over to her. But rather than speak to the girl, there was a young man that was standing by behind her and he, he, he handed that young man a lollipop and said why don't you give the beautiful girl in front of you a lollipop well the young guy was like who are you what are you asking me to do and he, he kind of had a befuzzled look on his mind on his face but he, he obliged and he tapped on the girl and he said please have this lollipop she had heard what Dudley had said and, and when she turned around and saw the silly hat and saw the lollipop she she began to laugh and the people around her began to laugh because of, the, of, of that unusual, funny moment. And as soon as she took that, took that uh, lollipop, Dudley looked at her parents and said, look at that, first day away from home, and she's always, already taking candy from a stranger. Here's the rest of the story. That young lady told Dudley after the fact that at that moment, she was considering going home and not even starting college. She was so afraid of being overwhelmed in the academics and everything of being away from home. But in that moment, when, when Dudley went to, to, to her and had that little incidental moment, the laughter dispelled her fears and she said, it'll all be okay. Uh, four years later, when she graduated, she went back to Drew Dudley and told this entire story. And here is the sweetest part of the story. She said, not only did I not quit because you had that lollipop given to me, I'm marrying the guy who gave me the lollipop in two weeks. Now, all the guys across campus will be giving out lollipops the rest of the afternoon. (laughs) Girls, don't take candy from strangers, please. Here's the clincher, though. Drew Dudley said, I have no recollection of that moment or that day. I don't even remember doing that. But when Dudley saw what an incidental, inconsequential moment could do to impact someone else, he began to develop this process of lollipop moments to encourage others whom you may not even know are discouraged. College students, you have influence. You're a leader. And each day, God is giving you lollipop moments. He's allowing you to encourage someone who is struggling. He places in front of you that freshman seated by himself at lunch that no one's talking to so that you can invite them into your circle. He's allowing you to interact with that one who seems lost and lonely on campus so that you can be their friend. That, that is leadership. Leadership is not a title. Leadership is influence. And when you serve, you exert the greatest influence. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, 
empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.